Kids, I want to start with just a, a quick story with you. Um, I don't know of what your friends are like. I don't know if you like your friends or not. Sometimes we have friends that we are kind of friends by uh, necessity, meaning it's like we don't have any other choice. So those are our friends, and so we stick with them. And that was kind of what it was like for me in middle school. I had some friends that I spent a lot of time with, and I did like them, and I generally had a good time with them, but there were things about the way we played and interacted that I didn't enjoy so much. They love to tease, and maybe that's just middle school. Maybe it's like that for everyone in middle school, but these two friends, they just tease me, and they teased each other, and that was just what we did over and over. And I really didn't like it, but I felt like I had to go along with it. And, and in some ways, not only the teasing, but other things I felt like I went along with it in the name of having fun, in the name of being friends, and because they said it was good, and yet in the end it didn't feel so good. And strangely, when there was an opportunity to have what I thought of as better friends, I kind of quickly moved on to those better friends and enjoyed those friendships more. Sometimes that happens in our life, and the book of Revelation that we're studying right now at church talks about this false prophet. Maybe you could think of it as a false friend who says there's these good things and that we should do these good things and we should, and they show you these, these signs of the good things and yet in the end you find that you're being led astray. That's what today's passage is about. That this false prophet is like kind of one of those middle school friends that I was talking about where I kind of went along with things, I kind of liked it, but there were a lot of things I didn't like, but I listened to them because seemingly it was supposed to be good. And my hope for you is that, certainly on the most simple level, that you would have the kind of friends that don't lead you astray, but lead you to truly what is good, that lead you to a deeper faith in God. And I hope that your friends that you enjoy and that bring life to you, but in the most spiritual sense of what today's passage is about, I hope that God gives you eyes to see, to tell the difference between what is good and what is not good, what brings life and what doesn't bring life. Because there are people who will tell you that pursuing this thing or having this thing is going to be good for you when in fact God says it won't be good for you. And so today's message is really about hearing the voice of God, hearing the voice of Jesus, our shepherd, and following not only his voice and his truth, but following his way. So I hope that God will give you that kind of heart and that kind of faith to follow not just rules, but follow the one who has given us what is right and wrong, to follow Jesus himself. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you continue to listen in as we dive into today's, today's message more in depth. Kids and grown-ups alike, we, we do live in a world of constant accusation of fake news. Fake news has become a phrase in our culture today. And it reminds us that truth matters. Fact-checking sites, fact-checking sites like Snopes are probably at an all-time high. That's not the only one. Our culture has become so sensitive to fake news that Facebook threatened to censor the Christian satire site Babylon B which is humorous on its own because it's clearly meant not to be a news site, but meant to be a comedic site. Facebook has since apologized, and, and Facebook is in a tough position. I'm sure no one is crying tears for them because Facebook is making millions of dollars, and people believe that 
Facebook and other social media giants uh, need to take responsibility, you know, for spread of false information. You know, our current times, COVID-19 has become, sadly, a political cultural battle about facts and fear mongering. And it's disconcerting to say the least because what the world needs right now is to work together towards a solution rather than jockey for power in this world. So whether in our nation or, or in the world, it has never been more apparent that there's propaganda or narrative spin constantly at work. And we are reminded again that truth matters. But what is truth? What is truth? This is going to sound funny, but parody can actually be used to point out truth. Now, what is parody? A definition of parody is an imitation of the style of a particular writer, artist, or genre with deliberate exaggeration for comedic effect. So here's an, a, a silly example. Maybe one of our most famous pop culture uh, parody makers is Weird Al Yankovic, and he's spanned generations now. So this is probably not for people who are young, but more my generation, but Coolio had this song called Gangster Paradise that was probably really in in the 90s. And so uh, this is one of the verses. It says, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's none left because I've been brassing and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. So that's Coolio's original song, Gangster Paradise. Weird Al wrote a parody called Amish Paradise. And here's his take on that verse. As I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, I take a look at my wife and realize she's very plain. But that's just perfect for an Amish like me. You know, I shun fancy things like electricity. It's an example of parody. You might wonder, why am I bringing up parody? I'm bringing up parody because in today's text, in Revelation 13, what we see is that God, through the words of John, powerfully using parody to point out the ridiculousness of Satan. God is using parody to point out the ridiculousness of Satan and of the beast. And the thing is, we are so often marveling at the way of the beast that we miss how ridiculous he is. The parody in Revelation is meant to unveil the truth of the beast to us so that we see it for what it is. And so what the main point we're gonna see today is this. We're looking again at the second beast and the second beast is known as the false prophet. So the main point is this, because the false prophet is merely a parody of the true prophet Jesus, let us follow the words and the way of the lamb that was slain. I'll say that one more time. Because the false prophet is merely a parody of the true prophet Jesus, let us follow the words and the way of the lamb that was slain. Again, we're looking at the second beast, the false prophet, and the temptation it poses to us as individuals and to the world. The, the false prophet simply leads people astray through deceptive heresy. And when we say deceptive heresy, what we mean is it's not very obvious that we're being deceived. We receive something as true, as truth, when, when, when actuality, it is, is not truth and, and will lead us astray. Now we see the second beast in this text receives its authority from the first beast, just as the Son of God receives the authority from the Father. And this 
this fact that we see quite literally spoken here in Revelation, mirroring, mirror, mirroring the Father's relationship with the Son and the Son's relationship with the Father, we also see that this particular text mirrors Daniel 7. And it shows us the divine irony of Satan and his minions. There is a parody of perfection, of God's perfection. And we kind of looked at that last week where we looked at this idea of the first beast is, is this epitome of incompleteness. But the parody continues here. The false prophet is a parody of the, the true prophet, priest, and king, our Lord Jesus Christ. And this unholy trinity is trying to possess the power and authority of God himself, but they fall short, far short of God. They try to get people to worship them, but they can only do so through fear and lies. And what they promise, they can never deliver on truly. They can never deliver truly on their promises. And as such, they are laughable. It's actually very healthy for us, I think, to be able to laugh at Satan's ways of trying to get us when our eyes have been unveiled and we see the ridiculous nature of the temptation, the ridiculousness of the empty promise, the ridiculousness of even if we got what we wanted, that it's not going to satisfy the way we thought. When our eyes have been unveiled to see that, then we see that truly the false prophet is a parody of the true prophet Jesus. Two-thirds of John's Old Testament references in Revelation are, in fact, from Daniel. And the reason is, is that John sees similarities between what Daniel was going through in his time and in his situation in exile and what John sees in the early church during his time. He sees the same apostasy and compromise and syncretism. People happy to say they believe in Jesus and yet also happy to bring in belief of all kinds of different things or willing to, to, to compromise their, their, their Christian ethics to go along with the ways of the world. But what we see really is that it, it becomes just a satanic parody of God's ordering of the, the ways of the world, ordering it the world, his creation. And God allows such false prophets as we heard in Deuteronomy to test and refine the genuineness of our faith. It, it, there's no more heartbreaking thing for a pastor to see someone walk away from the faith. And I've seen people walk away from the faith dramatically and quickly. And sadly, it seems to simply prove that faith was never there for them. And I certainly continue to pray for those people that they will come to have genuine faith. Yet there are false prophets out there selling things that sound so good, so tempting, so full of life, and yet does not bring life. Let's look at some of the characteristics of the second beast to help us identify what is this false prophet like. Number one, this false prophet will appear good. And we have to say this again and again because I think when we read scripture, when we read about false prophets, whether in Old Testament or New Testament, we think it's really obvious who the false prophet is. But the whole premise of talking about false prophets in the, in the Bible is to say it's not obvious. We need wisdom. We need people. We need elders. We need community to help us discern the message that a prophet speaks 
whether it's false or whether it's from God. And so false prophets generally appear good to people. Verse 11 says this about the false prophet, that it is like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. It is imitating Christ the prophet, the lamb that was slain, but actually speaks the message of the dragon, of Satan. Number two, the false prophet will produce positive signs. Verse 14 says, by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth. Preceding that in verse 13, the language that is used talks about it performing great signs. Really, an allusion to Moses's great signs. And when it talks about bringing fire down from heaven, it's alluding to, again, Old Testament, Elijah bringing fire down from heaven to the altar. And so again, not only will the false prophet appear good, it will seem to have power to produce positive life-bringing signs. Number three, the false prophet will lead to the worship of intimidating violence. And here's where we see the turn, right? This false prophet appears good, seems to be producing positive signs, but somehow, without us even being aware, leads to the worship of intimidating violence of the first beast. Verse 12 says, um, the second beast makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. It's kind of this idea where we can all fall into, where we think the ends justifies the means, right? We can, we can do whatever. We can bend the rules a bit. We can you know, maybe stray from God's ethics if, if we can achieve God's ends. That's how we can so easily go astray. And fourthly, a fourth characteristic of the second beast is that it will cause Christians to die. Verse 15 says, and it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So again, we see these four characteristics described in this, in this, um, in this passage. And here lies again the danger of the false prophet more often than not, we do not see it as a false prophet. We see it as good. We see it as producing positive signs in our society. But the false prophet also leads to intimidating violence and leads to even the death of Christians. Again, we talked about this last week, but the false prophet, like the first beast, is not just one person or one organization or one philosophy or one religion. It's not even one in every era. The message of the false prophet can prop, crop up anywhere in, in our world, in our society, in our political parties, even in our churches in Christendom, even out of our own mouths when we buy into the message of the false prophet. The message of the false prophet ultimately leads to death. We could turn to application here. In the original context, John was very much focused on the Roman state because the Roman state called specifically for the worship of Caesar and Roman pagan gods. And Christians who chose not to participate in the worship of Caesar and these pagan gods faced often dramatic economic consequences because that, that worship was interwoven into their economic life. I would say probably the closest parallel in our day today is, is life in China for Christians. There are millions of Christians in China who could face dire consequences for their faith in Christ because the communist 
party is tightening control and increasing surveillance and religious persecution. The Chinese Communist Party increasingly wants their citizens to pledge allegiance to the atheistic state. Now in the West, we live in pluralistic societies, meaning we're supposed to have freedom of speech and freedom of religion, and we're supposed to be able to get along with people with different ideologies. Yet at the same time, at least living in the US, we, we see that th there seems to be at least a sense of division that is at an all-time high. And as Christians, we have to be savvy enough to hold our faith with conviction, and yet at the same time, to discern the voice of the false prophet amidst the cacophony of messages that are out there. The false prophet will seduce us with goodness and its signs, but it will not point us to Jesus. The fact is, is it's, it's hard work to discern the voice of the false prophet. And it calls us, the reality of the false prophet calls us Christians to have a nuanced and thought out faith. And it just takes work to do that. It takes courage to confront our fears, even our own, our own doubts of, of possible disbelief. It takes a willingness for us to allow God to reshape us in his image rather in an image that we're quite comfortable of being of a certain kind of Christian. Too often Christians as Christians, we've allowed the messages of our culture to shape what we believe about Christ. And that could be whatever culture you come from, whether conservative or progressive or American or foreign. We let those cultures shape us rather than allow Jesus himself to shape us. Let me ask you, just it's really rhetorically, but which is more biblical, American Christianity or Korean Christianity? Which one do you think is more biblical? Those Koreans are, Christians are really good at praying and fasting at like really early hours of the morning that I would not want to even get up at. That sounds more biblical, doesn't it? The fact is neither is more biblical than the other. Both need to be willing to be shaped more and more into the likeness of the lamb that was slain, to follow in the ways and the words of the lamb that was slain. Truth matters, but the Bible has always warned us that truth also has to be lived out. True truth can ultimately, cannot be ultimately proven to be true if it doesn't bring life to people. We need to know Jesus. We need to know Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life in the midst of this battle of philosophies and beliefs that exist in this world. And we can't speak this belief as images of God seeking to subject others through power to believe what we believe. We must speak as images of God seeking to share the gospel, yes, but through sacrifice, through walking in the ways of the lamb that was slain. When we use power to make people believe, then we walk in the way of the beast. Jesus calls us to lay down our lives just as the, as the lamb laid down his life. There's no life found in following the words and the ways of the false prophet. 
His way is merely a parody of God's perfection and we should laugh at its ridiculousness. We must strive to see through it. We must ask God to unveil our eyes to see what is laughable from the false prophet because the false prophet is merely a parody of the true prophet Jesus. Let us walk and follow the words and the ways of the lamb that was slain. I know it's not an easy call. And in 15 minutes, it's hard with what this really means. We truly are faced with seemingly beautiful, conflicting messages out there. And we have to go to God himself again and again to ask, Lord, what is true? Speak through your prophet, Jesus, that we might hear the shepherd's voice and be led to Jesus. Let us pray.